Cause I'm on the edge of darkness. There rides the peace train. Oh, peace train, take this country. Come take me home again, sings Cat Stevens. We here at Solutions to Violence and our guest today, Diane Tate, are also on the peace train. We hope you are as well. Folks, welcome to Solutions to Violence. You're listening to WFMP 106.5 FM. We are delighted you can join us today as we talk with our guest, Diane Tate, from the international organization Peace Alliance. I'm Jim Johnson, here with Jamie McMillan. We are your co-host. The following is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Program. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you can do this by emailing us at solutionsofbalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest today, Diane Tate, Managing Director of Peace Alliance, has a bachelor's degree in special education from Greensboro College and a master's degree in social science from the Citadel. She has worked in the nonprofit area her entire life, focusing on organizations that serve children as a preschool director and applied behavior therapist and a therapeutic horseback riding instructor for children and adults with disabilities. She is proud to be a managing director of The Peace Alliance, an international nonprofit working to cultivate a culture of peace building through community programs and governmental policy. She has recently published her memoir called Under the Radar, When Truth Hides in Plain Sight. Diane Tate, welcome to Solutions to Violence. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've shared uh, with our listeners a bit about your professional life and uh, accomplishments. Now, would you share with us your life path, bringing you to a professional path with Peace Alliance? Sure, sure. So as you mentioned in in the intro, my undergraduate degree is in special education, which is why most of my career has been working with children in many different capacities. I was first introduced to the Peace Alliance in 2008 and became the South Carolina State Coordinator at that time for two years. So I've been in the Peace Alliance sphere for about 13 years. As a white woman living in Charleston for over 20 years, I have slowly awakened to the disparities that exist in this country on the local, state, and federal level. I grew up in a very segregated and privileged experience with regard to race in a small town in North Carolina. So it took more years than I like to admit to break through my indoctrination and start to see you know, what was really happening around me. Even when I was involved with the Peace Alliance in 2008 and 2009, I was not fully aware of the depth of those disparities. And, you know, while I'm not proud of my blind spots, you know, there there they are. And then in 2015, in Charleston, we had the dual violence of the shooting in the back of Walter Scott by a North Charleston police officer. And then two months later, the massacre at Mother Emanuel. So it was after those events that my awakening truly accelerated. So when the Peace Alliance advertised, they were looking for a managing director and we were headed toward the 2020 election with a renewed sense of hope that we might be able to shift the direction of this nation after a year of Black Lives Matter protests and four years with a destructive white supremacist ideology in the Oval Office. I I saw this opportunity as a chance to expand what I had learned here in Charleston and to a national and international level and work with the amazing folks at the Peace Alliance to move that needle further toward the more perfect union many of us have been striving for for so long. Well, I can identify with your background in the small town. I expect many of us can. But let's talk about Peace Alliance. Peace Alliance has an international nonprofit. It was launched in March 2004. It was co-founded by internationally acclaimed author, speaker, peace activist Marianne Williamson, along with team members who wanted to take the work of peacemaking and peace building make it a national and international priority through policy and legislation for our everyday lives. Our focus here on uh, solutions to violence is on proactive approaches to cultural peace. What would you say about the vision for an action for peace and with Peace Alliance? Yeah, so we are so grateful and thrilled that many of the founding members that were with Marian Williamson in those early days are still involved with the organization. And so I've had the opportunity to learn from them about the early years of the Peace Alliance and their wisdom and grassroots organizing. As I understand their vision and action for peace, it's foundationally as a shift in consciousness about what peace is 
from a final destination to an ongoing action. And what I mean by that is that we often think of peace as being a, a final goal, which suggests that we'll get there someday and everybody will breathe a sigh of relief and, and we'll be done. And it was a revelation to me when I went to my first convention for the Peace Alliance in 2008, that peace building is not so much a destination as much as it is an ongoing action that it changes and moves with situations and communities. And we have to be intentional to cultivate a culture of peace in all aspects of our society. So it's about creating that foundation with strong building blocks of equity to then be able to build a sustainable structure that will support and defend the American dream for all folks to enjoy peace in their communities. So a mission then of Peace Alliance is to empower civic engagement of a culture of peace. What, what does the culture of peace mean to you? It's a great question. You know, when I think about culture, I envision a tapestry. I'm kind of a visual thinker. And, you know, a tapestry is a final product that is woven together of threads of all different colors, patterns, and sometimes textures. And when they come together, they form a new entity that is beautiful, intricate, and fascinating, and that tells its own story. So at the Peace Alliance, we want to create an alliance of and amplify all organizations that are working to create a tapestry that allows you to view peace for all when the product is complete. And that means we have to weave the uplifting and amplification of peaceful practices at every level of our society. Um, at the governmental level, that means local, state, and federal agencies have to be intentional to root out what exists in their systems that uphold practices that don't don't allow peace to be felt by all and create new policies that directly counteract the harm done and no longer support such discrimination to reemerge. So we have to put that stopgap in place. And that's what a culture of peace means to me as I move through this work. Well, I was, I guess, informed as I looked more at Peace Alliance involvement, realized it's not just an organization, but it's an organization that organizes other organizations. So that was a, a real revelation for me. But yeah. what, what does grassroots have to do with the culture of peace? You know, I, I think we've learned in a big way these past few years, especially the power of the grassroots organizers and organizations. Abraham Lincoln famously used the words of the people, by the people, and for the people. To me, he was talking about grassroots organizing. We know from experience that trickle down anything doesn't work, and we will only shift the culture of the society of the people by the people and for the people. So all of the major changes in the history of this country have been birthed, mobilized and realized through grassroots organizing. So it is a key tenet of what we need to do to, to move our society toward a culture of peace. Well, what then does Peace Alliance have to do with solutions and, and finding resolution for and, and in conflict? Yeah. So the Peace Alliance's focus is to bring all the organizations together who are already doing incredible work in their communities, amplify their efforts, and weave that tapestry that we talked about before together to produce the final product that we all envision. It's going to take all of us. And if we all just work in our silos and never realize how to bring these efforts and initiatives together, I'm afraid we'll, we'll never move the needle in a substantial enough way to create peaceful solutions for everyone to live with. Within. So, you know, we also as an organization are very interested in either amplifying or spearheading, you know, programs that work on things like conflict resolution, teaching peace in schools, practicing peace in schools. So it's it's both and for us. And and so we all know there's a lot of work to do, right? <laughs> I know, Diane, that Marianne does a lot with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Does that have anything to do or become a part of uh, work with, with Peace Alliance? Absolutely. Mindfulness is, is a key tenant of, of what we want to do because, as, as has been said, as Gandhi said, you know, be the peace you wish to see in the world. It starts with us. I remember back when I went to my first convention in 2008, Marianne Williamson at the time was giving a, she was giving a talk to all of us that were there for the convention. There were maybe 3,000 of 
was there. And we were all learning about, some of us were brand new to this effort. Some of us were seasoned, seasoned organizers. And so she was giving us a talk about how to go into the offices of those of our Congress people and our senators and speak with them if we were lucky enough to, to get them in a room or speak to their staffers and how how do we speak to what we were trying to advocate for. And I remember her saying, you can't walk into the office with a club in your hand and beat people over the head and say, you will be peaceful. It doesn't work that way, right? We have to, we have to walk into the office and exude that peace. And so mindfulness is a key component of that. And our five cornerstones, one of our five cornerstones is cultivating personal peace. And mindfulness, you know, really falls under all five cornerstones. But for me, it it ultimately follow, falls under the cultivating personal peace because, you know, if I can't realize mindfulness within myself, when I'm talking to someone, even if they are saying something very inflammatory or they have a very different opinion about the world than I do, getting inflamed and getting all worked up and bowed up and um, is is not going to be the way that they might be able to hear me. And it's not easy to do. So a mindfulness practice is going to be key to that. Okay, so Diane Tate, we know, as we mentioned before, Peace Alliance was formed in 2004, so it's 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So how has the program and organization changed and grown over these years? And what are the plans that are shaping up for the future? Yeah, so it's gone through... You know, I mean, anytime you have an organization that's been around for this long, it's it's going to go through many different iterations, and we see all of those all of those moves as as valuable. So it's gone. There was a time where we had a very robust core of state coordinators. There were over thirty five state coordinators at one time, and and those state coordinators were were working to mobilize and activate the folks in their state, and then even further on a local level to teach them and train them how to speak to their elected officials, how to go to the offices of their senators and congresspeople in their home cities and in their home states, and then how to come to D.C. and go to the offices there. That's a key component of what we do is to educate, advocate, and mobilize. So, so we've, we've ebbed and flowed on that over the course of the years. And, you know, right now we find ourselves in another growth space and coming into a new administration, coming into a new amplification of change. We, we think that this, the moment is now um, for us to really be able to move this needle forward. So the organization brought me on in uh, November of last year, and, and we are in the process of amplifying and, and ramping up some of the programs that we've had in the past. We're in talks and considerations about putting together that uh, grid of state coordinators again and regional policy team leads and you know looking at all of the legislation that's coming into play listening to the grassroots organizers that are on the ground, that are doing the work, that are talking about the gaps in equity and the gaps in, in our policies and procedures from everything from, you know, the, the issues with policing across our country to redlining, to gerrymandering, to, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? So we're listening to the people that are talking about this and that are, you know, and, and that are informing us about where these real issues lie. And allowing that information to come in and inform where this organization can go. Where can we do the most good? Where can we be the most beneficial? And um, always with a proactive intention rather than reactive. So we don't see it as reactive, even though we're getting informed about what's going on and what needs to be addressed. That's not necessarily reactive. We want to see the issues, speak them for what they are, and then be proactive in our solution making and solution building going forward to try to rectify the situation. Right. Then the international mission is to proactively affect the way individuals and communities and schools and governments react to conflict and violence. What would you like to see and build in international efforts? Well, certainly, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, we have always been, uh, you know, you can't focus myopically in one place because as a world, we all, anything that happens in any of the countries around this, around this planet, we know um, impacts the others. And 
And so, you know, from climate change to every, you know, climate change has been a perfect example of that interconnectivity. It's often been said, it's not my original thought, but it's often been said that boundaries are imaginary lines that are man-made. And so looking at the earth in a holistic fashion and looking at the different countries and the different cultures and the different needs for violence reduction is very important. And so the Peace Alliance has always wanted to have a a hand in that uh, activity. We do have one of our five corners stones is fostering international peace building. Currently, we do not have a a team lead in fostering international peace building. And so that is something that we are looking for. If there's anybody listening to this that has an interest or a passion or expertise in that, they can go to our website and look at join us and maybe volunteer opportunities. It's on our website and they can uh, read what the description is of that team lead position. So we are closely connected with the Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructures of Peace, which uh, is doing great work with the UN right now, trying to establish a UN resolution for a Department of Peace building within the UN structure. And that would go a long way to informing other countries and other um, areas of the world how a, a structure for peace building within their governmental structure could be beneficial. Costa Rica, I believe, is the only country that actually has a Department of Peace. So we're, we're very excited that they were able to accomplish that. And we are in connection with folks that are working on the ground on the continent of Africa in some of the more violence-ridden areas to really try to shore up those infrastructures to, to, to reduce the violence over there. So a lot of work to be done. And again, because we are coming back into a an, uh, an expansion and a, a ramping up, as it were, of all of our programs and things that we're involved in as an organization, that's going to be something that we're going to be focusing on and moving into going forward. So that was our next question about the UN. Is it part of the policy to create those departments of peace in smaller countries to be an example to the larger countries? Sure, absolutely. Now, I, I can't speak directly to what the UN's, you know, what they're directly working on or what the Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructures of Peace, <laughs> it's a very long name, they call themselves GAMET. I, I can't speak exactly to what the, the, you know, the minutia of what they're working on with the UN. Sure. But absolutely, I mean, speaking on a, on a local level with regard to this country, representative, former Representative Dennis Kucinich, who was um, a congressman in Ohio, who was the first sponsor of the first Department of Peace bill back in 2001, he is actually currently running for mayor of Cleveland. He has been mayor of Cleveland before, and he's uh, running again. And one of the key tenets of his platform is to create a civic peace department in the um, in the local um, government of Cleveland. And so he wants to take what he learned and what he knows to be beneficial uh, aspects of having a overarching department that is paying attention to investing in peace building and take that to the local level in, in Cleveland. And our hope is that he will spark the interest of others who are in local and state government levels to, you know, we could we could do this on the local and the state level. It doesn't have to nationally. I mean, we eventually would like it to be nationally. And we think it could be very beneficial to have a secretary of peace sitting at the cabinet table um, in discussions when we're talking about going to war, we're talking about making decisions about directly impacting the, the citizens of this country and abroad in our policy structures. That absolutely is, is super important. But we know that in this country, when policies tend to uh, the people, the electorate of this country, like to see things happen on the local and state level first often. And so it can be a both and. It doesn't have to only be at the federal level. And so we are encouraging, you know, Dennis is kind of blazing the trail on that, but we are encouraging state and local governments to think about, you know, taking the infrastructures that are in the bill for the Department of Peace Building and reimagining how that could look in their local and state level governments to really benefit the, the citizens in their in their regions. In a Newsweek opinion article on June 22nd, 2021, Marianne Williamson began by saying, America's problem with violence is growing and it will continue to grow until we face it for what it is not just a problem that landed from out of nowhere, but rather a, a character flaw that's been part of American psyche for from the beginning. Our enlightened ideals have always been accompanied by a violent streak, like an unholy double helix that is part of American's DNA. 
What do you think Williamson meant by an unholy double helix that is part of America's DNA? Well, I can't speak for her uh, directly, um, but if I had to interpret what she meant, uh, I would say she was pointing out that the disparities and violence in our society, uh, especially toward Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, did not just materialize out of nowhere and did not just come up recently. I believe she was referring to the fact that this country was founded with these destructive and violent practices intentionally woven into that tapestry uh, that the Founding Fathers created, starting when the first European settlers landed on these shores. So I think that's what she means by it being in our DNA. You know, I'm a firm believer that we can't change what we don't acknowledge. And if we as a society, and, and I'm speaking to white society here, cannot own and acknowledge the intentionality behind the inequities and downright violence that has been found in almost every aspect of the tapestry of this country's laws and values, we'll never be able to truly make the change to a more perfect union. You know, We have to dig deep and be willing to live in the discomfort that this excavation brings up and to get through it to the other side where true peace can be felt and, and manifested for all. So I, if I had to guess, that's what I think she was talking about. Okay, Diane, you mentioned the fact that uh, there, the violence that has occurred against Black, Brown, and Indigenous people. Uh, we're also concerned about that. You have worked with kids, as your bio demonstrates, as have Jamie and I. We assume that you have worked with a fairly diverse population. So the issue that is currently raging across the country has to do with the way history is taught in our public and parochial schools. The Association for the Study of African-American Life History has documented the fact that many school districts, especially in the South, have omitted or whitewashed African-American history from the social studies curriculum. Two addendums here in Kentucky have recently been pre-filed by the Kentucky Republican legislatures, Joe Fisher and Matt Lockhart. The two addendums are designed to further impede the teaching of African-American history. If the two addendums pass, that will impede the teaching of African-American culture across all academic subjects. The Fisher-Lockhart addendums are almost identical to the bills filed in Southern states. What is your personal opinion concerning the teaching of African-American history, life, and culture? Does the Peace Alliance have a position on the teaching of African-American history, as well as the contributions made by women and other people of color? So, yeah, that is first and foremost in people's minds these days, definitely. And, you know, my personal opinion goes back to what I mentioned before when I when I said we can't change what we don't acknowledge. I wholeheartedly support uh, the full and complete teaching of African-American history, life and culture and the truth about how the erasure of that history was intentional. In Charleston, the city finally took down the statue of John C. Calhoun that had been towering over the city for 137 years uh, just last year. And there were many who said that we were trying to erase history by removing the statue. And my response to that has always been that the statue wasn't up there because of history. It was up there to intimidate and, remi and remind the Black citizens of this city who was in charge. No one's going to forget that Calhoun was the vice president of this country at one time, nor will they forget how much of a supporter of the practice of chattel slavery he was, although some would like to forget that. What had been forgotten was why that statue was placed there in the first place and why it needed to come down and why it was so hard to get it to come down. That's what needs to be resurrected and talked about. But conveniently, that wasn't what those who opposed its removal wanted to talk about. So we have to be willing to shift the narrative. And that begins with acknowledging and owning the very intentional acts that took place to craft the narrative that the planner class wanted to teach in the wake of the loss of the Civil War by the South. Now, in terms of the Peace Alliance's position, you know, I want to speak to the three pillars that uphold our advocacy, which I've mentioned before, educate, advocate, and mobilize. We believe that education is the foundational underpinning and the center pin of all right action. So yes, we most certainly support truthful and complete education of our nation's history with race, religion, gender, et cetera. The contributions made by African-Americans, especially Black women and femmes of color, are vital to the understanding uh, of this country and have been ignored and erased for far too long. Yeah. So you mentioned domestic violence that's incurred, and that is domestic violence that is in, in occurring in this country. The Guilford Law Center penned an article entitled Gun Violence Statistics, 
June 14, 2021. The article explains that 39,000 Americans die from gun violence every year, an average of 100 per day here in the U.S. Among high-income nations, the United States leads the world in deaths per 100,000. Their chart illustrates that the U.S. claims almost 12 deaths per 100,000. An article published by the BBC News entitled, quote, America's gun culture firearms, end quote, also leads the world in terms of the percent of civilians who own firearms. Yemen comes in second with only 52.8 per 100 civilian in terms of people who own firearms. An article published by the Newsweek and penned by Jason Lehman, March 24, 2021, entitled, quote, here's what America thinks about gun reform, according to the polls, end quote, states that, quote, overall, 84% of voters say they back universal background checks, which the recent House-approved legislation would make a reality, end quote. Yet the background check legislation sits on Senator Mitch McConnell's desk because the minority leader, McConnell, will not allow the Senate to vote on that issue. So if Williamson is correct and violence is part of our DNA, should the government enact stricter gun safety laws? What kind of safety laws would you support? Yeah, well, gun violence is absolutely a key issue. And you mentioned domestic violence. And I live in South Carolina and we routinely rank in the top 10 for domestic violence and do our best to to not have any gun safety laws, unfortunately. But, you know, the Peace Alliance focuses on proactive rather than reactive solutions, as I mentioned before, to violence. So in any programs or policy we offer or endorse, we're always focused on that. So if a piece of legislation comes to our attention, we read through the bill and determine if the policies named in that bill would fulfill that proactive stance that we've been talking about. Without speaking to any specific legislation here, because we could get lost in the weeds with that, we would support any common sense legislation around gun safety that would proactively create a less violent and more peaceful space for all of our citizens, most definitely. Let's go a little broader here. The United States ranks 101st of all nations in the 2014 Global Peace Index. In the U.S., the largest federal discretionary investment goes to the military. Its expenditures represent 55% of our annual discretionary spending, $650 billion. Investments in peace building are minuscule in comparison. For every $1 spent in the world on conflict prevention, 1,885 is spent on military operations. In U.S., less than 2% of income tax goes to civilian foreign affairs agencies. Yet, research shows that Investing early to prevent conflicts, like you said, proactive, from escalating into violent crisis is on average 60 times more cost-effective than intervening intervention of violence as it erupts. Peace Alliance encourages the expanding work of peace building. Would you speak to the importance of investing in peace building rather than the investing in warlike power structures? Absolutely. So that is the bedrock. That is the foundation of what we do. And and there's a there's a lot of information on our website. If you if you click under, I believe it's under mobilize, there's a statistics on statistics on violence and impact of peace building. We've just updated all of those statistics. And one of the one of the PDFs that we did that you can download is about the impact on peace building if you invest in peace or the impact on lessening violence. And so, yeah, we're, I think we all understand that we do have a military industrial complex that money does drive, you know, a lot of the decisions that are made with regard to war, either on foreign soil or domestically, because we do wage war against our citizens in different ways um, here in our own country. And so, yeah, that's been a key tenant for the Peace Alliance all along is, that old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So why, why, why do we focus on reacting and trying to fix violence and injury that happens to people as a result of violence rather than investing in programs and decisions and policies and structures that would stop that injury and harm from happening in the first place? It, it, it actually... When you say it out loud like that, it makes perfect common sense. So we don't quite understand um, what the hesitation is uh, in, in, in some of our 
in, in the power structures that make the decisions in our country. But what we do know and what we do support and encourage at the Peace Alliance is we offer the invitation to the members of this country and others to get involved. You know, if we've seen nothing um, since the last election cycle in, in November of 2020, we know that when we show up and when our voices are loud and we when we are continuously letting our elected officials know that certain things are important to us, they they do listen. It takes time. And but we can't let the lack of immediate response stop us from forging ahead. And so when we, uh, and that's one of the reasons why the Department of Peacebuilding bill is so important and so vital, because it's all right there. If, if, if the president or any of the members of the House or the Senate can envision how we might be able to invest in peacebuilding rather than trying to clean up the mess after it's created or investing all this money in war, all they have to do is look at this bill and see we've got it. It's, it's all mapped out. It's right there. So. If they're not willing to do that, then we have to get real about the fact that the, why is the will to do this not there? And from my personal opinion, I'm not necessarily speaking for the Peace Alliance. I think this is, you know, it's all about money. Um, and But as an electorate, we need to remember that we have the power. We put these people in office. We can take them out. We can elect somebody else in that believes in what we want and believes in what we uh, want to see for this country and for our states and for our regions, that we want to build a country that's going to be self-sustainable for our children and our children's children. And the best way to do that is to vote, which is why we, I believe we see such a concerted effort right now to squash the ability to vote. So, so we can't lose hope and, and we can't, um, we can't give up and say, well, it's just never going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. The catalyst is right there. We just have to keep reminding them that they work for us. You that, mentioned, uh, yeah, go ahead. No. You mentioned statistics in, the, in your answer. I need to say that the statistics that I was referring to did come from the Peace Alliance. Great. With, and uh, I was under international peacemaking, if somebody's interested in taking a look at that. Yeah, we just revamped all of those and concise, made it more concise and put all of the, the bulk. There's some snippets of statistics on the web page itself, but then if you click learn more under each header, it will download a PDF for you where we've got definitions, we've got we've got a deeper dive into the statistics and, and into the impact, um, plus all of the resources where those that information was found. So you can print it out, you can learn about it there and use it when you're talking to your elected officials. It, it We're hoping that it's helpful for people. Yeah. Okay. Diane Tate, you mentioned several times the creation of the Department of Peace. In her book, The Contemporary U.S. Peace Movement, the anthropologist Laura Toussaint advocates for the establishment of a U.S. Department of Peace, along with, as you mentioned before, Dennis Kucinich, as well as many political scientists. The Peace Alliance also advocates for the Department of Peace. What does a U.S. Department of Peace have to do with Peace Alliance, and why is it so important to be a part of that organization's mission? Well, you know, the, the legislation to establish a cabinet-level Department of Peace was the catalyst for the creation of the Peace Alliance. The bill came to the attention of Marianne Williamson, at the time was sponsored by Congressman Dennis Kucinich from Ohio, when she was in conversation with uh, the other founders about how to create and sustain a culture of peace. And it seems like a good fit. Uh, then Representative Kucinich introduced the bill on July 11, 2001, just 60 days before the terrorist attack. Uh, on 9-11 with the full support of Marianne and the others. And then it was three years later that the Peace Alliance was born as a 501c4 nonprofit to give more organized support to the efforts of, uh, to further that bill. And then in 2008, we established the Peace Alliance Educational Institute, which is a 501c3 to have a platform for any educational programs we might launch ourselves that didn't involve lobbying or policymaking, because many people don't realize that you have to, there are very strict rules about what a C4 and a C3 can do. So this bill is important to the mission of this organization because it was the bedrock of our founding, right? And we still absolutely believe in the value of seeing this department in our nation's government. What do you think keeps it floundering in Congress? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I would use the word flounder, so I'm going to push back on your premise a little bit there. 
<laughs> you know, anytime you're proposing an idea which has its roots in something very different from how our systems were truly set up to function, the road is going to be long. We talked earlier about the DNA of this country, and that is a very real and long-lasting element of our society. On the surface, we can easily say, oh yeah, you know, we should want a peace for everyone, but it runs deeper than that surface level observation. So over the years, the bill has shifted with the understanding of the times and has become a better and stronger piece of legislation because of the journey that it's taken. Do we wish it would get voted on tomorrow and enacted next week? You bet. But real and sustainable change like what needs to happen here takes time. And this is why we are so excited about the climate for change today. Even though there continues to be resistance, we we see this country as waking up to the realities of its past. And with that awakening comes the vision for its future that can be fully realized. We believe that a U.S. Department of Peacebuilding will give us the infrastructure for that sustainable change to flourish. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep on keeping on. So, Diane, you Hope Circles involves folks from all over the U.S. and other countries. I understand the idea came from a discussion between two Peace Alliance board members and the Teaching Peace in School Leadership Council. This came just as the world was going into lockdown as a result of the pandemic that was spreading in early 2020. Tell us about Hope Circles. How do they work? And what are some of the outcomes and are the results? Yeah, thank you for asking. So the Hope Story Circles, as you said, was, was born at the beginning of the pandemic when uh, board members and leadership council team leads from uh, Teaching Peace in Schools, Yelena Popovich, were in conversation about how to keep people connected, especially as we were moving into a, you know, none of us knew how long period of disconnection. And so we wanted to do our part to keep people connected to each other because we knew that this time had the potential to be very isolating, as we all know now, looking back on it, that it was. So it started out offered every Saturday for the first year of the pandemic. And then in 2021, we shifted it to twice a month so that because it, it, it took a lot of work um, from the folks that were putting it together to find the speakers and to cultivate those dialogues. And so every week was, it was a big, big order. So we shifted it to twice a month. So, so we have a, we, we have a, a, a chosen speaker or storyteller that comes to the room and offers a story of their choosing. And then we invite the folks that are in the room to go into breakout rooms so that they're in smaller, more intimate groups. And we give them an inquiry or a question to ponder based on the story that was offered by the storyteller that they can reflect on and, and share with each other in their breakout rooms about how, you know, that particular question might have landed on them with regard to the story. So folks can be um, involved with the Hope Story Circles. Like I said, they happen on the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 noon Eastern time, and all of the time zones in between. The easiest way to join is to go to our website, peacealliance.org, click on the calendar button, which is at the top of the page, and look for the next Hope Story Circles on the calendar. Uh, you can click on the event and a window will open with all the information you need how to, to join the Zoom calls. If you're not able to join us, you can go to our Peace On podcast, which is also, there's a link on our website, uh, which you can find um, and listen to any of the recordings of past programs that we've offered for many years, including Hope Story Circles, as well as other calls that the Peace Alliance has hosted. So there are audio recordings on that Peace On podcast that you can download and listen to. Okay. So the title of another opportunity is in the What's Happening file is National Monthly Peace Builder Calls. How does this work? So the National Monthly, Monthly Peace Builder Call was born uh, many years ago, um, headed up by our National Field Coordinator. Uh, right now, how it functions is that speakers are invited 
um, who are doing specific work in their communities to foster peace building. And they come to the call and offer a, a keynote about their work. And sometimes they have an action that they offer to the folks that are on the call of what they could do to get involved either with the speakers organization or um, in maybe similar work that's happening in their local communities. So our current national field coordinator is Kathy Kidd. Um, She's been a longtime supporter and volunteer with the Peace Alliance. She actually used to hold the role of national field coordinator way back in the day. And she has returned to that role and uh, is expanding on what is being done, what was being done before to include more ways for folks to connect every Tuesday. And definitely stay tuned for those details as they're still in the planning stages. But for right now, the national monthly Peace Builders Call happens on the second Tuesday of every month, starting at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time and all times in between. You can go to the calendar, find the event, click on it, and all of the Zoom room information will be in that event um, for upcoming months. Uh, something else that we're doing with the National Monthly Peace Builder Calls is we're offering them as live streamed on Facebook. So the Peace Alliance has a Facebook page. We invite you to go find us and like our page to keep up with things that we're going, um, that we're doing. And so we have started live streaming these national monthly calls on Facebook at the time of the Zoom call. So you can find it there. If you can't join us, the time that the call is happening, you can go to Facebook and it will be in our newsfeed on our wall in perpetuity. So two different ways that you can learn um, about what's going on out there in the peace building world. And yet another resource provided by Peace Alliance is e-news. That sounds like a a way to uh, stay up on uh, peace-related actions. These are quarterly news updates for Peace Alliance. The second uh, for 2001 just came out in April of this year. So what can we expect from these? So the e-newsletter is just another way, uh, another offering that falls under the pillars of our organization, um, Educate, Advocate, and Mobilize. You can find them on the website um, by clicking on, I believe it's under, yeah, it's under what's happening under e-news. You click on that and all of our archived e-newsletters are, are there. So you can go back and inform yourself and see the journey of the, of the organization. Uh, we're about to launch our latest one this month uh, with the theme of reimagine. So um, I I offered uh, a message as the managing director and then other folks in our organization, namely our leadership council team lead members are offering articles about things that they're doing, organizations that they know that are doing great peace building work. And so that's another great way to keep up with what's happening. Uh, You can go also to our website. If you're not receiving our emails, then you can go to our website and click on join us um, and fill out the form. I think, believe it's at the bottom of each page. Uh, And that'll get you on our mailing list so that you can start to receive any of our emails that we send out, letting you know about upcoming calls that are coming with all relative links, as well as the e-newsletter. So that's a great way to stay connected to us. Okay, Diane. So there is a uh, Peace Alliance web store, which is another way of getting the word out about your organization. How does commercializing Peace Alliance justify the idea of peace? Well, in practical terms, we are a small nonprofit organization that depends on our donors, especially our monthly donors, to sustain the work that we're doing. Offering merchandise with the Peace Alliance logo on it not only offers some revenue stream for us to sustain the work, uh, but it also helps get the name of the organization out there to folks who may be looking for a way to get involved and just hadn't heard about us yet. So, and we are trying to make peace building sexy. So there's that too, you know, we, we uh, when, when volunteering became the new in thing to do, then everybody started volunteering. We want people to realize that peace building is the sexy thing to do. And hopefully wearing some of the swag will help that along. So... So how do we get to the web store? You can get to the web store again by our website under, I believe it's under what's happening. Um, Either that or it's under mobilize and you can click on the web store uh, link and it'll take you to a separate website where we sell masks and t-shirts and buttons and things. 
Um, you know, often when I'm wearing a shirt or a button or a mask with the peace alliance on it, folks will ask me about the organization and I get a chance to tell them about us and invite them to join. And when folks feel like they can be a part of something bigger than themselves, then they feel a sense of belonging, which I think we're all craving after the last year and a half, maybe more than ever. So we encourage you to go get some of that swag. And, and we're right now in negotiations to uh, maybe get some, some more uh, funky pieces that'll be in there and update our merchandise a little bit. But we would love the support from all of you out there. So check it out. Okay, so fair enough. What does it mean to be a supporter of Peace Alliance? Why should our listeners become a supporter of peace? Besides the fact that uh, you can accumulate sexy clothing. <laughs> You know, to be a supporter of the Peace Alliance can show up in many ways. Uh, first, you can, as and I've mentioned most of them here, first, you can go to our website and you can sign up to receive updates on what we're doing, upcoming programs and calls and actions that you can take to advocate to your elected officials about legislation you feel passionate about. We often send e-blasts out with one-click actions. Click here. It'll take you to um, a pre-written email that will automatically feed to your senators and Congress people, depending on what the legislation is that we're trying to um, encourage them to support. So that is that is a great way to to be involved and and to let the let the our elected officials know that we're watching them and we want them to to do the job we sent them there to do. Uh, second is to invite your friends and colleagues to learn more about us. Let us know if you or someone you know is doing incredible peace building work in your community, so we can lift them up because that's part of what we want to do. And third, you know, but nonetheless important, please consider becoming a monthly peace partner by committing to a monthly donation. It's our it's our monthly donors who truly help sustain the work that we're doing and help us to expand it in ways that we may not have even realized yet. Something we haven't touched on here yet is our blueprint for peace, which is a list of structures and approaches for peace that we ask people organizations and legislators to endorse as a team effort to commit to building that culture of peace that we've been talking about here today. So you can find all of this information on our website and I encourage you all to take a look. That was my next question. <laughs> speaking of that, yeah, speaking of that, the principles of the, the uh, petition are uh, teaching peace in schools. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. Uh, empowering community interventions, humanizing justice systems, and enhancing personal and interpersonal supports, and fostering international peace. Mm -hmm. You've talked about, but uh, what do you think more about teaching in schools, teaching peace in schools? I am so glad you asked that. So we have had, for quite a few years now, we've had a an offering on our website of 10 hours of audio recordings by um, educators that are doing the work of peace building um, by teaching their students in the school system in many different ways. And uh, when I first came into the organization, I was talking to the different team leads about, you know, what's working, what do you want to see expand? Yelena Popovich, who was our Teaching Peace in Schools Leadership Council team lead, who was a um, school psychologist in Greenville, South Carolina, she and I had a long conversation about the Teaching Peace in Schools offering that we had, um, that we were already offering to people, and how could we expand that? So, you know, the, if the past year and a half has, has given us any gifts, one of them is that everybody seems to know how to virtually attend workshops anymore, and it makes it very easy for us to reach out to people, not only across this country, but around the world. So we talked about how could we take those 10 hours of audio recordings and expand them to make them more robust, to make them more interactive active. And so we have actually changed the name of that offering now to Practicing Peace in Schools, because we found that the title Teaching Peace in Schools for that particular offering suggested that we were offering a curriculum and that it was all about what the teachers gave to the students. And it is about that. We do want to teach our students while they're in the schools, not only the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we also want to teach them how to be peaceful and how to foster personal peace and how to then also um, foster that in their communities. But what we realized is that teaching peace in school sounds like it's just something that we are giving to the students and regurgitating to them. And 
what was missing was the idea that the that the educators needed to create a community, uh, an environment, a culture of peace within their classrooms. The administrators needed to learn how to cultivate a culture of peace in their school systems. And by modeling that behavior, they will also be reinforcing what they are teaching the students within the curriculum. So it was multi-leveled and we realized that the name, even though teaching peace in schools is correct, it just didn't encompass as much as we wanted it to. So we have changed the name of that particular program to Practicing Peace in Schools. So you'll see that on the website. And uh, we are in process of trying to obtain funding to expand that program. We, we, don't, we don't believe and don't really support asking people to give us labor that we don't pay them for. And we know educators are strapped, um, for, especially after the past year and a half that we've all lived through. So we want to be able to invite educators to come and help us formulate this new iteration of this program, but we want to be able to pay them for their labor, especially people of color. Um, so, so what we're envisioning is a 12-week program that uses and encompasses those 10 hours of audio recording, but we would incorporate live components all along the 12 week cycle. So there would be a first live where we all got together and got to know each other a little bit. And then maybe three weeks in after people listen to the first three recordings, we meet together in the live component again, hopefully invite one or more of the educators that had recorded the audio recordings to the live component to troubleshoot with our educators, to talk to them about what's working, what's not, what have you tried, what are you having trouble with, and really help them kind of solidify it in their minds and be able to, to further expand it, uh, whatever they're offering in their classrooms at the time or in their school systems. So every three weeks, we would offer that live component, and then we would offer a last live component at the end. So that is what we want to see this, um, this program expand to, and we know we can offer it to not only educators and administrators and teachers in this country, but also around the world by the wonders of Zoom. So that's what we're, that's what we're focusing on for that particular um, cornerstone. So again, go to the website. Yes, there's a lot of information there, I know. Okay, we have one more minute. Uh, will, will there be any last thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Well, I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for inviting me into the space to speak about what we're doing at the Peace Alliance. And I want to thank your listeners for listening. And um, I know that we might get frustrated with how slow progress is sometimes, but we can accelerate that progress by joining together and becoming that grassroots force that can co-create that society we wanna be in the world. And we understand that peace may not look the same for everyone. And if our focus is creating peace for those on the margins of our society, the rest of us are gonna benefit. So together we can demand better, we can do better, and I hope you'll join us at the Peace Alliance to do just that. We wanna thank the director of international organization, Peace Alliance, Diane Tate, for her appearance with us today on Solutions to Violence. Solutions to Violence airs on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Today's program will be repeated August 3rd and 4th. The Solutions to Violence program featuring Diane Tate will be placed in our archives August 4th. To listen via our archives, visit us at forwardradio.org, scroll down to Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions to Violence program that features Diane Tate. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our discussion with her, you can reach us with the following email, solutionstoviolence18 at gmail.com. I'm Jamie McMillan with Jim Johnson. We're your co-hosts for Solutions to Violence. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Until next time, please keep the peace with your own personal way and help others do the same. Thanks for listening.